Hello and welcome back to the Chris Ye podcast. I am, as always, Chris Ye. And this is another in our series of Mental Samurai podcasts. Today, I am going to be recapping Mental Samurai Season 2, Episode 3, with a very special guest, Becky Eldridge from Season 1. Becky, say hello. Hi, Chris. It's great to be on a podcast with you again. Well, it's great to have you back. I have to say, uh, the world has changed a lot since the last time we were on a podcast together. It has. Isn't it crazy? It's definitely changed for everyone, including me. I've actually changed locations from the last time we talked. Well, where are you right now? What's been happening during this crazy pandemic? Well, I was in L.A. during the time of, you know, when we all recorded the original season one. And then um, I had just moved there. And so now it's three years later almost. And um, I abandoned L.A. in the middle of the pandemic because all of my family, which I talked about on my episode of uh, Mental Samurai is all here in Ohio. And I just was going nowhere. LA was completely shut down. So sublet my apartment, came here, um, had gotten a job, which I didn't even have at the time in Mental Samurai, and I could work here from home in Cleveland. So that's where I've been since August um, in a dramatic turn of events. My dog died on the drive out. Oh no, oh gosh. (laughs) in august yeah driving from la to cleveland she was an old thing so they suspect that she had um altitude sickness oh no so i felt terrible for killing my dog i loved Um, her it was not you you couldn't have known i am so sorry thank you it was really sad and then um so i got here got to be here for the holidays which is great and then i was laid off in january so I sound like a country Western song. I'm Mental Samurai. I had just moved to LA, didn't have a job. My mom had died. And now I'm telling you, now my dog died and I lost a job. So, but I'm in good spirits despite it all, Chris. So my, my uh, location right now is my father's house here in my hometown of Elyria, Ohio. And I'm spending so much time with my family. It's wonderful. One of my nephews is graduating from high school tonight. There's lots of parties and since things have opened up and I had the vaccination, I really get to spend time with the people I love the most. Well, that is fantastic. And it is not surprising for those of you who remember our last conversation that Becky has this incredible resilient attitude because you went through a lot in season one and it hasn't been easy, but my goodness, you're continuing to make it happen. Oh, thanks, Chris. I mean, you have a lot going on too. You've been, you know, I know you had to deal with some physical therapy and, you know, some injuries. And so how are you doing? So I'm doing generally pretty well. So I told people that, you know, of course, this pandemic has been a a terrible burden and and tragedy for so many, but I'm very lucky. Uh, I have not had any close family members who have even gotten ill, let alone pass away. And most of the work that I do, I've been able to do remotely, although some of the things I used to do, like travel around the world yeah. and give talks, sadly, I could not do that during this yeah. period of time. Oh, and uh, that's did... like your wheelhouse. You're so great at that. Well, thank you. But I did do a lot of Zooms. So that was my way of getting my emotional connection with audiences yeah. during that time. And, you know, it's things are starting to open up. I'm actually got my first trip planned. I'm going to Monte Carlo at the beginning of July. Ooh. And I've got a trip to Norway planned for later on this year. I might be going to Portugal for another conference wow. after that. And so things are starting to look back up, but we'll have to see. Like, as you mentioned, I'm vaccinated as well. Science is amazing. And I'm just looking forward to getting back to some of the fun things I used to be able to do. Yeah, in Portugal, maybe you'll swing by and say hi to Ava if she's still there. <laughs> well, that apparently is the studio for European Mental Samurai. So apparently yeah. they filmed the European versions there. That was what I heard from Peter Fryer in my last episode. So okay. I think it, it may very well still be there. But the crazy thing is, apparently the Warner Brothers studios there are just like right next to this auto shop or something like that. It's this crazy situation where they're in a warehouse, but Ava's just sitting there and apparently they're still filming. Well, I am so interested in what all the contestants experiences were like for season two versus our experience where we were in Burbank and kind of got to have a little bit of, well, Burbank glitz and glamour. And, um, (laughs) and we had an audience. Um, We had a whole different format. So I'm so glad you're doing these interviews. 
I've listened to them to hear the contestant experience. So. Yeah, no, and it's definitely very different, but the, the kinds of people are very, very similar, right? They're folks who have this incredible breadth of knowledge, who are willing to jump on television, a lot of great personalities, and I'm looking forward to reaching out to another set of folks, including yeah. today's or yesterday's champion. But Boy, yeah. yeah, what a champ. Holy moly, is your friend still tracking stats? Do you have any scoop on how he did or... So he is tracking the stats. We have not yet done the first analysis of the stats. So I'm going to okay. have to reach out to Dre and find out. But it was really interesting. And of course, we're talking about the reigning samurai, Scott Perry. And we'll cover his story in greater depth when we get into it. But it was a very impressive performance. Oh, my gosh. It, he killed it. And, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, I'm so curious what you think of the format because we got to see him do his incredible run pretty quickly knock out sort of a low bar and then he ran again and I was sort of like is the audience paying attention to this last run anyway I could geek out on mental samurai but he was incredible Big yeah. and it, 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 no question it is harder this year in one sense which is the circle of samurai is not four questions but another full 10 questions and so to achieve perfection on two 10 question runs is really difficult and that's something where in season one the only person to do that across the different runs they did was ryan jones because he made it into the finals he did he got all 12 questions right in his first run uh, he didn't make it all the way through the circle of samurai i think he won 25 or i think twenty-five thousand dollars. And then in the finals, he was the only one of the finalists who made it through all the questions in the mm -hmm. final run as well. And then it was in the circle of Samurai that ultimately Heather came in first, I came in second, Ryan came in yeah, third. And again, sadly, there were no second or third place prizes. Oh, I know, it's gotta so be painful. killing you, Chris. I mean, this format would have been more useful for me the way that my run ran. Oh. I would have gotten some money. Absolutely, and, um, it would be perfect And I may have you. been able to move on because you didn't have to be perfect, but. I mean, Correct. you could say that with everyone. So, well, again, I certainly hope that you get another chance to come back. <laughs> I think that you would have a great redemption story to come back on season three of Mental Samurai. Well, they'd have to make it a sad sack story like they did the first time. I'd have to talk about my dead dog, I guess. <laughs> well, you could definitely do that because apparently they like pets, at least marrying a cat and burying a dog. Very, very similar in some I ways. I know. So, here's a question for you, Chris. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think about, and again, maybe they can't do this but in our season they spend a lot of time on the hometowns kind of like the bachelor does yeah. what do you think about us not being able to see that i was kept looking for it and then i thought is it budget is it covid related but as a viewer i missed that emotional connection yeah so i definitely think it's probably primarily covid related although it doesn't hurt that it saves on budget i mean for our year they sent crews out to film all those hometown packages. So I had a film crew of like three or four people that came out and spent four or five hours with me. So that costs money. But I have to think that this is something that is part of their model. So as you know, Arthur Smith is the company that does Mental Samurai. They also do American Ninja Warrior. And one of the things that really powers and makes American Ninja Warrior work is the hometown packages, kind of like the way they do it for the Olympics, where you really get to know someone mm -hmm. before they run. So I think it probably is the pandemic, but it doesn't hurt that it saves them money too. Yeah. And then the other thing I would think, and again, this is how the sausage is made, the format this last year, um, they were able to edit together multiple shooting days and then kind of made it like it was one night, even though it wasn't. Um, the contestants didn't compete directly against each other. This, they're only doing five contestants. So not only how do, would they pick who to do the hometown to till later, but also like they can't change the sequence based on the format, right? So in watching this episode, I thought, do they have enough time? Like Rob kept repeating the instructions and it felt like he was almost filling for time. Well, I um, think he was, I, okay. I think he was, because I, I noticed as the, as the episode was going along, so this episode, and again, there's a little few spoilers here. This episode featured people who answered four questions right, three questions right, two questions right, 10 questions right, zero questions right, and eight questions right. So I think there were fewer questions answered correctly in this episode than any previous episode. 
And I think because of that, as we got halfway through the episode, I'm like, are they going to be able to make this last long enough? Because right. they're really burning through the contestants. But of course, they made it came out. And I think that your observation is probably quite right. In the editing, they're like, okay, add more to the conversation with Rob, because otherwise, it's not going to come out to the right length. Well, and it uh, definitely like that last, I was timing as well. So that last conversation um, with, oh, what's his name again? I forget. Uh, with Do Do oh, with uh, Scott. Scott was two minutes, him and yeah. Rob just chatting, which is a long time compared to, you know, we're doing four minute runs here, five minute runs. So definitely Absolutely. thought that they were um, stretching for time. And Who again, your, that, yeah. that's one of the things they do. They have these conversations with Rob and, and you and I had them as well. And there's probably like four or five minutes worth of conversation or some right. large amount. They always have more. Most of it gets left on the cutting room floor, but they have it just in case. So what's your impression of the season? Are you liking the new format as a former contestant? So I generally like the format. Uh, I think that the ability to win money, even if you don't go all the way, is certainly a bonus. <laughs> I think I the, ability to, the ability to come <laughs> back for another day is also a good one. I think it's been pretty dramatic so far, having the reigning samurai go in last. I thought that was really smart. So, so far, so good. I do miss those hometown packages, as you mentioned, that does feel like, you know, we're missing out a little bit as a result of that, but that's not something they could have done much about. So I think as far as format goes, they've generally done a good job of updating the format and, and refining and making it even better. Yeah, well, and I heard you and Dr. Friend, uh, Ken talk about, it seems like the questions are a little easier. And again, that might be contestant bias because it seemed like mine were harder. But some of the memory questions seem a little easier with the pictures. Um, and also, you know, they're, they're running 10 questions versus 12. And then finally, like you're not, you're competing only against the people on your night versus being randomly put together. All of that to say, I, I think it's a little easier for the contestant and that might be a better thing. I remember last year or last season, the producers saying they expected 10% of the contestants to go through and only 5% went through. So for those who are interested in what the behind the scenes looked like, I came and filmed and we were there at like six in the morning and I didn't get home until well after midnight and I was one of the last ones to go. I think they had an inkling I might do well, so they were kind of pacing it, but it sounds like with these contestants, it's a little bit different. And so it's maybe a little easier because you know when you're going to go, where during our season, my experience was I could go that day, I couldn't go, and a lot of sitting around. Yeah, no, there was a lot of uncertainty, and they had to fit a lot more runs through. My impression, my understanding from talking with the competitors is that this was very much like a sort of Jeopardy thing where they film all the contestants mm -hmm. in one day. And so that's a total of seven runs, six runs plus a circle of samurai run. And that's eminently manageable. When we were filming, we were filming something like, you know, 20 or 30 people a day and just shuttling people in and out and going from, like you said, six in the morning to well past midnight at night. So it was a crazy situation for the crew. It was a crazy situation for the competitors. That being said, I think it's still stressful. In this case, the competitors yeah. have the extra stress of being in Portugal. Right. Which was <laughs> That's really true. You, good point. Yeah. Um, here's something I really missed and I have a whole mm -hmm. theory about it and we can break it down or whatever. I really missed the audience and yes. I feel like the contestants did as well. So my background is that I'm an improv comedy performer. So I love an audience. It's one of my favorite things. And you're essentially a performer because you're presenting and. And I did improv comedy in college for four years. And so I performed at college comedy festivals and the like, mm -hmm. and I totally agree with your hypothesis. Yeah. So I think it's um, really hurting in two areas. One, I feel like the contestants are having to whoop it up and sort of falsely present this competitive narrative that isn't ringing true. This especially I saw, and I thought that this contestant was great, but I thought that Ruby, you know, was jumping up and down in the chair. And I thought, oh, the producers are encouraging that. It felt unnatural to the character she represented in the chair. Absolutely. And look, this this was the product of circumstances. I can imagine what it'd be like being Jeff Aploff, you know, who's the executive yeah. producer, right. who's the voice of God in our ears as we're going. And he's probably freaking out because Ruby goes, she does this run. Again, we're doing a few spoilers here, but it's not a long run. 
And so you got to figure, okay, we'll should be out of the share soon. But then the next two runs are even shorter. And so they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do here? Because we didn't expect this. And I'm sure Ruby didn't expect to be sitting in the chair that long. So she's got to go ahead and say, hey, you know, maybe I'm going to be here and, and be really excited and pumped up, even though she's got to be thinking after her run, there's no way I'm in this chair for very long. Right, exactly. So I think one, sort of that false nature of... Um instead of the audience encouraging, people had to pump themselves yeah. up with the voice in God. And then the second thing I'm really missing the audience for is the Rob Lowe banter. Yeah. I think that this show really hangs itself around and I, most contestants, and I think most people are huge fans of Rob Lowe, but I get the impression, and we just talked about it, that Rob is maybe not as improv trained as other people are. And so then his banter I wish they could script it somehow, but they can't. Right. I thought we should make a drinking game because the number of times he says, I like that. I like it. It's numerous. And, right. and we're really just watching one person compete and then Rob's response. And so it started to get a little sour for me. I miss that audience, which is the third part of it, right? Well, the audience is so huge. If you think about the biggest moments from season one with Rob and the audience, it's when he can turn to the audience, say audience, and then yeah. they say, you know, the the elephant in the room or, right. or whatever it is. Rainbow, person... Rambo, that one was exactly. the best. Exactly, <laughs> uh, Hall of Notes. And, and yeah. you know, every one of the audiences, and part of it is in those really painful ones where the person is wiping out, they have no idea, it's something super obvious mm -hmm. for whatever reason, they just don't know it. The audience is going nuts during that time. I mean, the reaction shots, people yeah. are like, got these looks on their faces, like, oh my God, they're gape, agape, and they're yep. like laughing. And Whispering that to each really other. helps power and, up. Yeah, wow. I missed that. And I, I feel like Rob missed it, the contestants missed it. And, um, and so there's a couple things from our season versus this season, those hometown packages that brought some sense of empathy yep. and then also that audience response. Those are the two things. The format change is fine, no problem, it all makes sense. But those are the two things that I was like, oh man, I really miss those things, so. No, I agree. And, and again, hopefully the results will be good. There'll be a season three and we can see a, a melding of these different approaches and hopefully season three would be the best yet and hopefully season three they would call you back if you happen to be listening jeff becky's available again oh, great redemption story so is chris <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so how do you like to do these breakdowns do you want to go through contestants yeah let's I mean, just go I'm kind of wheeling here but well, well let's just go contestant by contestant i mean look it was great to to get your thoughts on the season but we'll go contestant by contestant and then wrap things up at the end okay perfect. so our, our first contestant is ruby ortega an army veteran e2 if i do not mistake myself that makes her a corporal which okay, means that I she's in know. charge of a small squad <laughs> and she did a bunch of stuff in antiquing. Her strengths were history and memory. Her weakness was math. And she struck me as you know, a good contestant, good first one to bring out of the gate. That's probably why they chose her. She's excitable. She's personable, uh, very much somebody who is emotive. So right. I thought that worked pretty well, uh, but she yeah, went she was... out after only four questions. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, she was talking out loud. There was one question in particular that she was really like, expressing herself and thinking about it. And I thought, oh, the producers love this kind of personality. Yeah. In fact, I always think they really encouraged us to be outgoing and emotional. And I always think that's how I lost. I spent too much time explaining myself. Anyway, that's all ancient history. But um, she definitely was in that sort of talk it out loud. She was adorable. And then, um, yeah, but again, I was really surprised that she stuck around as long as she did with such a short run. Yeah. And of course, you know, the way she went out was just made the mistake ice tea versus ice cube. Oh, of gosh. course, you know, you figure if she, if you were a, if you're an LA person, you know, the difference, you know, ice cube and ice cube came up through NWA and, and is that one particular actor famed for his scowl ice tea, of course, coming up also having a hard rock band body count, of course, being on SVU for all these years playing a cop on television, very different. Unfortunately, she didn't have it in that moment. And that was four questions, $2,000. Yep. And it's one of those questions too, um, Chris, where if you don't have knowledge of the subject, you can't get your way there. That's the hard thing guess. about all the knowledge. And that's the same thing in Jeopardy. If you don't know that category, you're not going to know what, you're not going to get anywhere. Now, next up was Aaron Fraley, who was a medical lab scientist. They really liked the scientists this season. I, yes. I could see why. 
the scientists, especially in the backdrop of a pandemic, it's great to get like a medical scientist up there. And he was an Ohioan whose fiance was previously a Cincinnati Bengals cheerleader. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I'm from Cleveland. So those are our big rivals, um, the Bengals. But I, I thought it was really cute. This is something that I felt Rob and I had a connection on being from Ohio. And, um, and I love that in the middle of his run, he was like, go Ohio. And so despite not being a Bengals fan, I was happy to see that connection. It brought some of that hometown package energy exactly, to exactly. the interview. So I was really, really cheering for Aaron. And I was rooting for him too. I thought he got off to a promising start. He seemed very focused, very calm, but he was also able to bring some personality to things. So when he had Iron Man, he says, oh, that's my favorite superhero. Yeah. Of course, you know, the scientist superhero. But then he ran into one of those rebuses and he just got on the wrong track. The rebus, of course, was hit the nail on the head. Oh, and it, you have this hammer and a, a hand and a hammer and a nail and the nail going into a person's oh. head. And, you know, pretty straightforward. But he got off on the wrong foot. He started thinking hammerhead and he couldn't get it out of his mind. He couldn't reset his brain. So you got that one, huh? It sounds like I didn't get it. It, oh really? I was I was with Ruby and um and, you know I like to think I'm pretty bright but I was like I couldn't get it either that one was really hard for me I was glad I wasn't in the chair yeah I know what you end up doing and this is the systematic approach that I advocate for things like this and gridlock is just look at the individual elements so you start saying yourself hand hammer nail head and when you hear nail head you start thinking oh hit the nail on the head Right. I didn't see the hit. That's the thing. And, uh, you know, the I, nail I, on the, but if you, if you saw that picture and someone said nail on the head, you would say, Oh, hit the nail on the head or nail I think on you're the head. right. So anyway, yeah. I felt bad for him because I oh. was right there with him and he was so cute on a prior one. He had um, counted with his hands, not out loud, but you could see him counting and yeah. he has a fiance. He just, he was a great contestant. I really oh. was cheering for him. On the plus side, he's got a great job. He's got a fiance who's a yep. Bengals cheerleader. How bad could life be for him? <laughs> exactly. All Three right. questions, $1,500. <laughs> okay. Now, next, came, next up was Lisa Overman, who is a brand manager and a child prodigy, something I'm familiar with. Uh, and my, my wife, uh, my wife had to listen to my griping about it because I was like 152, 152 IQ is not off the charts. The charts go much higher than that. And 152 is barely genius level. A lot of us oh test even gosh. higher than that. Chris, that's so funny. So, uh, <laughs> essentially Lisa's story was that she had been identified very young with a high IQ. And, um, I was curious because I don't know my IQ score. Um, I am much more of an instinctual trivia player. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I have always scored well on tests and whatnot. So it's no surprise that I was on this, but I don't know my IQ. So I don't know what's good and what's bad. So that's funny that you were kind of saying to your wife, uh, like, oh, that's barely genius. Cause I yeah, was thinking, so how good is that? I don't have a comparison. So it is, it is very good. Obviously not that many people have 152 IQ. The best way to put it in context is I went to, as a child, the Merman School for Gifted Children, which is the reason I had my IQ tested when I was seven years old, like she mm -hmm. was, which was you had to take an IQ test to be admitted to the school. And you had to score at this genius level or above in order to be admitted. And what I knew, because kids talk on the playground and everything, you know, a genius school, you talk about your IQ scores instead of yeah, you know, how many goals you scored or how many baskets you <laughs> sunk. And so I knew that I had the third highest IQ in my class. And it was a class of about 30 or 40 folks. But there were two people who were higher. Uh, one was Kaniz Munji and the other is Masi Orioka, who you may remember as one of the stars of NBC's Heroes. Oh. Well, I remember the show Heroes, but I don't remember. But anyway, so Mossy, Mossy played obviously one of the pair of Japanese characters. And the funny thing is his acting career took off as sort of a sideline to what he was doing normally, which was he was a, a computer scientist for Industrial Light and Magic. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. You know, here's something that I'm curious about. I think mm -hmm. um, on the IQ thing, I was in Gifted and Talented too, And I think that was started like age eight. So yeah. I think my mom didn't know my IQ, but chose not to tell me. 
Could be. You know, it's interesting. I do see a lot of folks out there have this attitude that it's tough to be super intelligent. I have always been of the opinion, no. I mean, of course, there are potentially some downsides in the sense that there were people who, you know, especially the er earlier eras of this country when intelligence was not as uh, not as valued perhaps, at least generally speaking. But now we live in a world where being a total nerd about things is considered a good thing. And this was covered in the movie 21 Jump Street starring Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill very memorably. <laughs> Channing Tatum goes back to high school. He's like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? Back then, football <laughs> players were the cool guys. Now I'm right. the dirt. What's going on? Well, and I co-wrote a play called Band Geeks, which was all about like being a band geek and, you know, nerding out and happily kind of waving what my friend calls your freak flag. Absolutely. So here's another theory and then we can get back to this. Um, yes. You mentioned, and I did this as well. We both come from a background of improv comedy. I have to say those people, I always think are people who do improv. They're usually pretty intelligent, pretty well read, mm -hmm, but then mm -hmm. they also have a verbal quickness and a mental quickness. And I think that that mental quickness helps on this game. You have Absolutely. to kind of like, believe your first instinct and then go for it. Once you start counting it out, which we saw a little bit with old Aaron, that's when I think you really dig yourself in a hole. Yeah, but at the same time, you also need to take the moment to make sure you read the question carefully. And this is, I think, what happened to poor Lisa. Here she is, she's built up, she's this genius. Yeah. She's got this great, bright personality and she's coming through the screen and she misses after two questions because she's asked, you know, add together this many things, you know, add together this and this. It's a classic one of those math things and toes on a foot. And she thinks 10 toes, like human beings mm -hmm. have 10 toes. She doesn't think five toes on a foot. Yeah. And she gets the number wrong. And she's just completely crestfallen. You can tell right. she's devastated. Well, and this is a point where I thought that happened earlier with Ruby because it said how many wheels are on a unicycle? So yes. the way these are written, I'm thinking, are they trying to trip us up? I was tripped up because I put the sequence of my last question when in my run, in my run, wrong. I did largest to smallest instead of smallest yes. to largest. So because the, smallest to largest is intuitive. Yeah. Not. <laughs> there, there are times when it goes against the intuition and that's yeah. why it's so important to read the question because you would expect smallest to largest. You would expect you know, least to most, right? oldest to youngest, and all these different things. And there was a yeah. question in one of the previous episodes about which foods would spoil faster yes. or would keep the longest. And that was one which was counterintuitive. You had to really stop and yeah. think about it. And then I thought, is that what the writers want people, like, you know, if you're an audience member, is that what they want them to know or not know how it's written? Or is it the content of the question? Because I've I noticed that, that this is coming up a lot, you know. I think that, you know, paying attention to the directions is part of it. I, I, I know Jeff's told us, you know, I, mean, I assume he told you during your day as well, there are no trick questions. But these are questions where you have to actually read the instructions. Yeah. Well, and you uh, think the, about what an audience wants to see, they want to see if they could win that. You know, absolutely. are they smarter than the person on TV? That's why I think most people pay attention to game shows. And so if they catch it and the contestant doesn't, then that's a real moment of victory for that audience. Yeah. Now, Lisa, the other thing that was funny about her, I'll just mention this, then we'll go on to our, our eventual champion, Scott Perry. But the other thing that Lisa, well, I thought was funny was she referred to Rob Lowe as Rob Lowe instead of Rob. <laughs> She's like, Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe. <laughs> I did that too, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, again, he's Rob, right? I, mean, I know. Anyway, I grew, I grew um, up in LA. You know, we're supposed to play it cool with the celebrities. Yes. Not go too crazy about it. Yeah. So, you know. Well, so uh, I, I do want to get on to the next contestant, Scott. Yes. But I have to say, at this point, as I was watching, and I've watched all of the episodes, I thought, I don't know who's where, who's comparing to who. And I wondered if you felt that way, because there's no clock until they become the reigning samurai, and there's two ways you can win. And I felt like Rob had to keep explaining it. I feel like this goal, which I think you and Dr. Ken said is a you know malleable goal, it's kind of hard to play along. Yeah, I think the hard thing is, again, when you have a situation where the first person out of the gate does not have a strong run. Right. And that until you have someone with a strong run, 
Because once you have someone with a strong run, it's really clear, oh, you need to get nine mm -hmm. or you need to get 10. It's when you're like, you need to get five. It doesn't feel like, if you remember the previous episode, I think it was, uh, you know, Ben Hockman and then his fiance, Laura Kerber goes after him. Right. Ben Hockman came out and I think he got four right. And then she immediately got, you know, uh, nine right or something like that. And so it was very fast that we got to the point where it's like, okay, you need to get 10 right in order to advance. Yeah. And so that works very well. Where it doesn't work well is when it's in that middle area and then it's a little hard to know. Yeah, and I think that uh, um, Rob must have been aware of that because he kept mentioning it. Like yeah. the bar is kind of low. Okay. Exactly. All yeah. right, so here comes Scott and he just blows it away. One of the best runs I've ever seen. So Scott was fascinating. So his background is a marketing consultant. Uh, now, one of the things I do afterwards when I start to reach out to people is I look up what they do. And Scott is actually a marketing consultant for the entertainment industry. He helps Ooh. launch new shows. And he's worked with various shows like Rick and Morty and so on and so forth to do these various activations. So he's a, a guy who understands the show business industry, which is why he has a great knowledge of sort of entertainment related trivia. And then also just, you know, his marketing mastery was clear. He's like, hey, I married my cat. Yeah. Like, okay, got it. Great we're, story. We're show that. It's a great story. Yep. And then you'll notice at the end, after he won the Circle of Samurai, we'll get to this later, but he almost instantly is like, what are you going to do with the money? He's like, hey, you know, there's this other charity that does great work and I'm going to donate money to them. I want to help them. I don't need to worry about it. He's a rich marketing executive. But, you know, that's like, think about the value of that airtime for those charities. Yes. That he's mentioning. I mean, it's enormous and it's a great way to, to get more value out of Mental Samurai. Absolutely. And I think you nailed it on the head. This is a guy who knows how to charm an audience, you know, and knows how this entertainment world works. And so then he brings out that quirky story. Great. That's a thread that Rob can follow through both of his runs. So agreed. Now, one thing, and this may be, this is not, not, not exactly controversial, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. So I had nicknamed Scott in my mind, the Joker, because he was laughing between every question. <laughs> part of it is, you know, you're like, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm trying to fill this dead air. Like, I don't know whether he was doing that just out of instinct or nervousness, or because he was like, I got to fill the dead air. I got to make sure that something's going on because there's no audience cheering or anything like that. Did you notice the laughter during his run? I did. And, um, and the, the jokes that kept coming and, you know, Rob, again, like I mentioned at the top, I think that without an audience, he's needing to fill in. So we hear again, I like that. I like this pace, the same comments again and again, because we're missing yeah. that element. So I feel like Rob coming in a little bit savvy did fill in with the laughs. And it's funny that you said you called him the Joker, because I sort of had some nicknames in mind and it's for the next contestant, but I feel like the producers are picking types, right? Yes. Like they're looking for the nerd, they're looking for the scientist, they're looking for the this, the that. And, um, and I can figure out where I think my type is. Can you identify a type that you think you represent? Haven't gone well, you, so far? You, you know, when we, but look, when it came to season one, and again, as somebody who grew up in LA and was familiar with the entertainment industry, I was like, yeah, of course they're going to be casting for types. And I gave them a couple choices. I said, listen, I think that the, the best story angle or the best occupation to use is author, because that's cool. People like to hear about, oh, this person writes books and there's a New York Times bestseller and so on and so forth. And so that's kind of cool. Instead of saying technology industry executive or something like that's right. boring. Nobody wants to hear yeah. that. And so <laughs> I, I already had my various story angles in mind. And my guess is Scott had his in mind as well. He was like, listen, we're not going to talk about my work with the entertainment industry. That kind of messes with this whole storyline and the whole relatability to America. We're talking about marketing consultant and marrying cats. Yeah, that totally makes sense. For me, they called me writer. I mean, I'm yeah. kind of a writer. I do PR, but you know, they didn't want to say that I was a performer pursuing, you know, comedy because it would be too inside. Well, yeah. You know? Look, half of the half of the competitors, more than half the competitors, the vast majority of competitors come from Los Angeles, which means at least half of them have some sort of entertainment industry right. ambition somewhere. Yeah. Uh, we have people who are, you know, like, like in season one, Ben Bergstrom. They list him as a bartender. Well, he's an actor. Who happens to also work as a bartender? Uh, I I remember when I learned that I was like that definitely makes sense because Ben you're far too handsome to just be a regular guy 
right? Yes. You can tell some people are just so good looking, like, okay, you must be in the entertainment industry because you cannot like just be a regular person who look this good. Well, you know a little bit more about the backgrounds, but was Ryan um, a performer from your season? So because Ryan, so Ryan is not, a, not an official performer, but a soul cycle instructor, that much right. was true and had also proven himself on multiple game shows in the past. Mm. So he had done $25,000 pyramid. Oh no, he had done prices, right. And college Jap Japanese. I can't remember which ones it was. He'd done several, his entire family had done game shows. So they were an entertaining family. So, you know, and, and, and again, last week, uh, last interview, Peter Fryer had done, this was his 11th game show. Wow. Yeah. So I was a first timer when Same I did here. this, but then, um, about a year after we had filmed, my nephew came into town with his fiance and she wanted to be on Price is Right. So we got the tickets and mm -hmm. I knew because of my experience with Mental Samurai, how they vet contestants, yeah. you know, it's just, and I kept saying, this is your girl. She's from Cleveland, which is where Drew Carey's from. I was like, she watches it every day. This is your girl. And sure enough, she got pulled up right away. So I do see what you mean about those types, you know, and what they're looking for. I mean, it's what they, you know, you see it in regular acting and performing. So anyway, Absolutely. I so thought, let's, well, so let's talk about Scott. Type. Yeah. So Scott's the goofy type. You know, I did think that he, you know, as it was Ron was going, I was like, Scott, you're taking too much time. You're taking too much time. He was taking, he was really stretching it out. Like he knew the answers and he would answer everything in a complete sentence. And I'm like, this is unnecessary. I'm worried yes. that you're taking too much time, but obviously he's still finished with plenty of time to with plenty of time remaining. Yeah. I was a little worried too, because that again, not to make it all about me, that's where I stumbled. I just took too much time trying to play it up to the audience. And, um, you know, and then Heather, if you recall, she answered things right away. Like oh, yeah. she, you know, well, Heather's a game show a pro answer. Well, yeah, that's part of it too. But and I the mean, game show pros, pros understand. And season one was also a little different because you didn't know if you're going to make it on the air unless you went all the way. Right. So Heather made it a clear upfront choice. She's like, screw entertainment value. Mm -hmm. I don't care about all this stuff. I'm just going to get on by winning. Right. And she could do that because she'd already been on television before. It wasn't that big a deal. She didn't make it to the air. What she cared about was winning. And right. she just focused on winning. Whereas, you know, a first timer like you or I were like, oh, we just kind of like to be on television. I mean, winning would be really nice, but. But let's know. go yuck it up a little bit. Let's go yuck it up. Let's 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 be entertaining. Yeah. So Scott was that good mix of both. I mean, I agree. He was a little I was worried about his pace, but he was just nailing it. I oh, he was a really, machine. He got to the fifth one where it was um, weird goofy and strange. And I was yeah. like, he is on a roll. Here he goes. He is unstoppable. And there are two, there are two things that really stood out for me that made me realize, okay, this guy is formidable. The first is that he was one of these people who really understands how to do gridlock. I use gridlock, which is where you pick out the words in the sort of in sort of the, 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 the crossword puzzle thing, all those different letters, the matrix as a yeah, test. Like of, word okay, does this word search. Does this person understand how to play? And the way to do gridlock is to systematically go through left to right and then top to bottom. Right. And when you do that, you're going to find everything. You just know you're going to find everything. You don't right. need to worry about anything too fancy. And that's exactly what he did. And then the other thing is he was nailing those memory questions. And yeah. as you know, my, my own, even from season one, memory tower, really tough. Even for me, memory is hard. I've tried to practice. I'm still not as good as I should be, but he was nailing every single memory question like that. There was no hesitation. There was no, oh, let me guess this. It was like, boom, boom, boom. And beating like, it was a better memory performance than we saw out of the memory champions our season. Yeah, I, I don't know that for sure empirically, but it was just so impressive. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you mm -hmm. is I started to hear rob Lowe in some of the voiceovers so specifically here where it was like snip zip and whatnot and then a little later i think that's new to the season having I rob i agree with you i don't remember that happening before and it makes sense if they're doubling down on rob 
It right. totally makes sense. Or right. if they needed to, a last second overdub, like we need a voice. I mean, if Rob's willing, Rob's the executive producer, which means that he's got a piece of the show. So they don't have to go to Rob and say, Rob, we're going to give you extra money to do this recording. I mean, this show is partially his baby. Okay, that totally makes sense. And then I also thought, again, with that lack of audience interaction and the lack of the hometown package, they're trying to spice up some elements in some way. So as an audience member, I was like, oh my gosh, is that Rob? You know, which kind of draws me in a little bit because that's the name of the game. Keep them watching, right? Absolutely. And what I will also say, and I've been doing this in every episode, when there was something that I got wrong at home, I like I fess up to it and I missed the mem the last memory question on Scott's run. I did not get that one correct. I thought I was certain I had it right, but I somehow got it wrong. I thought he missed it. And I was shocked when it was like, no, he's correct. I'm like, wow, I screwed Rem that one up. Remind me which one it is. That was the zip, snip, drip, slip one. Oh, that one was earlier. The last was one was um, mirror, mirror, but I don't know what the, you know, and that's the one where things are floating there was, there was no no so i didn't get that so i missed okay. one where it was like what was the second sound okay that was a little earlier but maybe um, that was the early maybe that was the early one i must maybe i missed the first one but i did miss it so again i gotta fess up yeah. when I, I i like to think i'm pretty good at this game but there are yep. times when i miss it too yeah and that's just like for me i think i'm pretty good too the ones i can never get are the ones that are um like the jukebox one where oh, something yeah. is different spinning yeah those are those are tough well, especially when tough. they have words and um he yeah. was great at that i think that's no, he, the one i i love i love something with the, anyway yeah, um, no and, and the other thing that's hard about them is those ones it's actually harder for the audience at home because they usually cut away from the image at various points to the reaction point. shots and so it's really hard for us at home and yeah. the competitors actually have an advantage in that one yeah. all right so scott gets through 10 questions right three minutes 55 seconds very good pace a minute plus to spare despite the deliberate pace and so it's just he's rocking and rolling he goes into the chair he owns it yes. and then there's one there's two last people one competitor and the reigning champ the next competitor is don hecht from near where i live san jose california a stunt man Right. Great so, story. And you're thinking he's a performer. He's going to do well here. Right. And he is, he is like performing. Let's rock Rob Lowe, baby. I'm like, Oh yeah. my God, this is go this guy's so exciting. And then, Oh, oh wow. I know. And this is one, um, I was disappointed because I did follow his story. It was the yeah. only one that showed a picture and it's him with the seven siblings. There's mm -hmm, only one girl, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, you know, an interesting story to me, but I thought, Oh man, he really did not get it. And he tricked himself. Yeah. He thought too much about it. So this is yep. one where it was a, uh, they do a lot of these. It was a roses are red. And then he had to figure out how violet blue and. Um, this really was violets are. are blue. It's like, what's the order of the words yes. afterwards? Right. And, and it's um, violets are blue. Yes. And he <laughs> and had it. But then he just, oh my gosh, I felt really bad for him. Oh. And he sort of reminded me of a contestant, again, going back to the types that everyone seemed to love from season one. And it was a guy with a mullet and a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. I thought he was kind of that type. And then I wanted him to surprise us by doing better. You know, you think a step man is maybe a bit of a, a lughead, a jock, you know, but and, no you know, no I can surprise tell you, with him. <laughs> I can tell you, you know, I had a long conversation with Peter Fryer, including a bunch of stuff that didn't go on the air because, you know, we were just talking about the experience. And he was like, oh, you, you're just going to let me tell you, you're going to love Don Hecht when he comes on. Whenever he comes <laughs> on, Don is my guy. I love that guy. So he was charming the other contestants as well. Yeah, it seems like he was a real charmer. And then, boy, he went down in flames. And at this Oof. point, I'm thinking, how are they going to stretch the show out? We have an hour here, you know, because... They only have five contestants, right? Mm -hmm. So with the one, and, I was like a little worried about their time. And so next what happens, the good news is from here on out, the runs are pretty long. So what happens is Dr. Laura comes in. She is trying to go ahead and, and unseat Scott. She's got to go quickly. Now, again, one of my criticisms of Dr. Laura from her previous episode is that she did not go as quickly as she needed to. And in this case, she came in knowing she had to move really fast and, in fact, go faster than her run, her successful run in, in the previous episode. She had to pick up the pace by at least six seconds over her previous run. 
And yet she didn't seem like she was speeding things up. I mean, she, she was great in terms of the interview. She talked about yeah, some humor. Hey, I read the internet, but I'm like, right. you can't talk it out, Laura, you got to go. I know. And this is something where I think you and I are different. Like, I think you look at things and you can figure out the game, like the gamification or the yep. elements. And I'm just like, okay, let's go. And I thought, well, Laura's sort of playing that angle as well. Like, she's very charming. She beat her fiance. What's going to happen here? And I have to say, this is something that I think with the format, I wish they could figure out a way to show us, is she on pace? Is she not? Other than yeah. Rob's, you know, qualifications. Oh, you need to go a little faster. That's a great idea. It what should does be that like, mean? It should be like the sports events where, yes. you know, it shows you the time yes. to be in, you know, like the skiing events, they're always saying how much ahead or behind the pace they are. It should be yes. like plus three seconds, minus three seconds. Exactly. That is something, you know what? I'm going to send that suggestion to Jeff Haploff. Ooh, well, tell him I want to be a writer for Mental Samurai as well. So <laughs> that's actually great. You know what? You can, you can just reach out. Like I connected with him on LinkedIn. Just reach out to him on LinkedIn. Oh really? Let him know your Beck. Let me know your Becky from season one, and that hey, you know you're watching season two. You're loving it to death, and you know I would love to find out if you need any people to help write some of these questions because I think it's fantastic. Now, by the way, if you do that, you can't possibly go on the show. I know. Again. So let's let's cheer for the show. I hope that these ratings are what they need. Do you have any inside scoop or? So episode, yet? so what I know is that episode one ratings weren't great, but that's partially because it was up against a bunch of season finales. It's like okay. ooh, tough, tough yeah. start. Episode yep. two ratings were better and I haven't yet seen the ratings come back for episode three. So we'll see. Okay. Well, someone like a Dr. Laura is definitely going to draw you in because she was a pretty yeah. strong personality and you could tell she really wanted to win it. That was Absolutely. my impression of her. So now I agree. The, she should have gone faster. I wish they would have that clock comparison. The other thing that was disappointing was even after having seen a couple of these runs, she still didn't take a systematic approach to gridlock. She was doing <laughs> what people do. The gridlock thing, it drives me nuts. Like what people Chris, do. This is wrong. like your pain point. This is so it's funny. It's my pet peeve. People go to gridlock and they like, they, they sort of wander about like, no, just do systematically. It'll ultimately be the best for you. And somebody who's a scientist should definitely do it systematically. Anyways, she gets through most of the way. She's behind the pace. She's not good. It doesn't look like she's going to catch Scott. She's behind, but she's trying to rush because she's running out of time. She, I think it was close whether if she got everything right, she would have finished or not. Because well, that's I again when I thought, how do you win this game? I was unclear at this point what she needed to do. What furthest, fastest, was. furthest, fastest. And I was pretty sure she was not going to catch Scott at that point. But she lost on the ninth question. It was, I believe, another memory question, which, again, those are tough. Yes, this was the one where it was an old-timey cartoon guy, and he's walking across the street. And so she had to watch the cartoon and then identify the color of the car and she misidentified yeah. it. Yeah, I did manage to get that one. I've been training, right? After learning <laughs> from some of the memory masters our season, I was like talking it out, mentally saying, okay, that car's that color, that car's that color. Then he goes and sees this sign. And so I was able to get that. But again, I still defer to the master, Scott Perry, who is just amazing at this. Yeah. So she loses, but that leaves her with a two-day total of 28,500, certainly quite respectable. Absolutely. So here's another question for you. Do you think they're going to have any kind of championship in the finale? Or do you think we're just seeing it as it goes? I've heard that there isn't a championship, but I don't okay. know that for sure. I think we're seeing it as I think we're seeing it as it goes sort of like Jeopardy. Okay. And maybe there'll be a tournament of champions, we can always hope where they bring back the reigning samurai from season two, and maybe the mental samurai for season one, I'm, of course, completely disinterested in this. <laughs> <laughs> you have no interest at all. No interest I, at all. <laughs> I didn't get any money. And I just was so broke. I remember complaining about it in front of like, you didn't get anything. I'm like, they won't even pay for my parking. Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> But see, at least us people who were flown in, we got like a two a uh, hundred dollar per day per diem. Oh, man, this is still not a lot, but you know, it was uh, something. oh, well, yeah. When they uh, asked me in my interview, they're like, what, where do you want your money to go? And I was like, pay off debt. They didn't like that answer. <laughs> so instead, I had to say I was going to donate it to a charity, which would be really nice once I'm out of debt. Anyway, right, you, you would you would have <laughs> donated the charity after paying off the debt. Yes, exactly. I was my own charity to start with. Charity so here, at home. here comes Scott. And this is something I think I mentioned earlier. At this point, he's won. 
So yes. what's my incentive to watch? So the incentive is to see, can he win $100,000? Cause he's won $10,000, yeah. but now is his chance to really go for the big money. And, and this is where I think that how they're framing the show is a little confusing because mm -hmm. we're not knowing where everyone is. And, and it's relatively new, but at this point I was like, eh, I don't really care. He already won, you know? I don't yeah, know and if this you is, felt that way. This is also something where I think that the dealt, the difference, like in season one, again, I think it's, it's more of a challenge to go through a circle of samurai that's a full 10 questions. Right. But in season one, it was really clear that the circle of samurai was different. And each individual question mattered more because each question was worth $25,000 or rather 15 for the first question and 25 yeah. for the remaining three. And so each question had all this stuff built into it. And after each question, there was a big emotional release and there was an audience as well. So again, we'll have to see, you know, see how this season plays out because we right. haven't seen that many of these circle of samurai runs yet. See if, you know, maybe we'll, we'll go back to the previous format. But right, Scott, so it was four, and now they're doing essentially just a another full ten. run with a, ten questions. A whole other so run doesn't feel that much different. I see what you're saying. Now the other thing is that again they give you one less minute, so you need to get through it in four minutes instead of five. Now Scott had gotten through his first run in three minutes fifty-five seconds, so no problem. But he's there. right on the edge. But That's he was right on the edge. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, Scott, go faster. And then he starts talking it out again. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, Scott, do you not get that you have a minute left? You don't have to answer in full sentences. But that's but, my point, Chris. I don't know that people do. I think that this game is a little confusing watching mm. it. And you're sort of like, okay, what is the stake? What is my goal? And because it changes, even here, you know, I was a little bit tuned out because I was like, I don't know what he has to do. It just wasn't super clear to me. Right. And again, that's like, can you make it really clear up front? Here's what's at stake. And that's, if we think about it, you know, they, they should have maybe the running total of the money. Right. Right. Because that's part of what's going on. Like if you know, with 10 questions, it's hard to remember what question you're on. Right. And you see the number when he drops into place. But if you had the running total of the money, yes, that would probably help. Yeah. And then this is such a logistical thing. But the four towers are. Uh, they're identified before we go on. But then there's a sub game within the tower. So sometimes yeah. I don't even know, am I on a puzzle or am I on a sequence? And I think that clarity makes a difference because right. you're thinking, oh, I'm really good at memory as an audience um, member playing along. Anyway, so this And they're point, color coded, but you know, it's a, yeah, I, I agree with that. So he goes through and there were, again, Scott is a, an amazing champion. And I'm like, oh, wow. I wouldn't necessarily want to go up head to head against him because I think he might be able to beat me. But you know, he was demonstrating his mastery of gameplay. So for example, there was one memory round where you have to count up the number of times a particular word was said. Yes. And he did, what he did was so smart. Instead of going through and repeating the whole phrase and counting the number, he was just like four, lock it in. Because he knew right. that it couldn't be two. Yep. And he also knew it couldn't be six. It's like, whether it was three, four or five, didn't matter. He knew it wasn't two or six, four, yeah. lock it in. And that saved him some time. So that was one of the areas where I'm like, wow, that was really smart. I wouldn't have thought to do that. I would have dumbly started counting the numbers and then say, okay, it must be four. <laughs> How did you do on the last question? Which was about adding up the piano keys and that the was guitar easy. strings. That I didn't was know easy. the piano. Okay, so piano keys, 88 keys. My sister was a pianist and, and played a lot of concerts, so I knew that. And then in terms of guitar strings, you know, I just had to think about it for a second. There is a very famous Brian Adams song, exactly. The Summer of 69. And yep. that just, in my mind, it's like about my first real six string, six string. And I'm like, six strings. Yep, I got the guitar, but I didn't know piano. And I think part of it is because I bought a piano during COVID, but I bought a smaller one, like a keyboard. Oh, so yeah. mine was uh, 56, I believe. So I was yep, like, yep. what's the real, you know, anyway. Um, so for me, this run wasn't as exciting as his first one, because yeah. I was really surprised during his first one, he picked up the pace in the middle. And this, again, I'm looking for some head to head, something new. Mm, mm, mm. So this is interesting, right? So you, you have me, you make a good point. Once they've won, they're guaranteed to be coming back from the next day. Now they're just going for extra money. How do you juice that up? Right. How do you make this run special? How do you make it somehow different from the first? What they did do is they remove one minute off the clock, mm -hmm. but it feels like that may not have been enough for you to really lure you in, to really get you excited about it. No, and this is the thing I, in general, 
I was thinking a lot about this before our conversation. And I thought, what I, again, I think they're missing the audience and they're taking these really bright people and kind of making them be a little bit goofy, right? So we don't do that on Jeopardy. We don't make those contestants like fight and say they're going to, you know, beat the other one and right. sort of like this beat down thing. Some and of makes, them do, but that's just on their own. Yeah, exactly. And so it makes sense on the other production, right? With the American Ninja Warrior, because they're physical people. Well, yeah. these are mental people, but they're sort of making them beat each other up in a way. So anyway, at this point, what I kind of wanted was like Scott to compete against someone new that we hadn't seen. I missed this element of like, I got that question sooner than you, that you see with a Jeopardy or a Wheel of yeah, Fortune, yeah. where it's synchronous competition versus solo, and then you compare the scores later. I don't know how they could do that in this game, but I think that's why this run just didn't matter to me. I think it's got the, well, I think for the first part, it's that running clock idea, but for the Circle of Samurai, there really isn't. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the old four-question Circle of Samurai may have been better because the objective is just to make, just to determine how much money the person wins. And the old four circles, a four question circle of samurai was different enough. And each question was meaningful enough in terms of money. Right. Like in this one, like, do you really know how much money each question is worth in the circle of samurai? No. no. Technically, I believe it is $2,500, but you wouldn't know that. I mean, nobody no. would know that. Yeah, no idea. And that's, you know, going back to whenever there's a loose element where I kind of don't know, I just check out. So that's yeah. why I think the tower should be identified as, you know, the same instead of like a mini identification. Help yeah. me navigate this and help me understand why it's important. I lost that thread a lot watching the season. Yeah. But the thing we don't lose is the fact that Scott is an incredible champion. Man, oh, holy wow. smokes. Answers all 10 questions, gets in in the time, and now he's at a total of $110,000 for the day, and he gets to come back. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, I've been asking, I've been saying all season, I wonder if we're going to see like a Ken Jennings-like run or a James right. Holtzauer-like run. If anyone could do it, I think Scott could do it because he has got the whole package. Yes. And he's got this incredible strength in memory, which is usually the thing that brings people down. It's the thing that produces all this variance and he nails those. So I think he might repeat as champion. Well, what do you think about, um, or what do you know about this season? How many episodes there are? Do you have any of that information? I'm fairly certain it's a 10 episode season. Okay. Great. So it would be fun to see him run through. And then of course that becomes promotional. We'll start to get him on some talk shows and, you know, hopefully get yeah. him out there in the world. All right. Well, I, I am rooting for this guy. I have to say, I'm excited to see what he does in episode four. Absolutely. And actually I know, I think I can confirm for you that it is 10 episodes because one of the things that Peter Fryer said is that when he was pitched on it, they told him you could win a million dollars. And he's like, whoa, a million dollars, that's incredible. And then he finds out the way you win a million dollars is you win $100,000 per day and you win 10 days. It's like, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, exactly. And it's already not gonna happen for him because he wasn't the episode one winner. Right. But um, yeah, I agree. I think he's got it all. Do you know a quick stat, what his second run was? His first one was 355. So I don't know what a second one was. I know I it was less, I, I'd have to, I, I, if I'd been watching and I saw the, the time left on the clock when he'd see it, I would have known. I suspect it was more like in that 340 range, mm -hmm. 340, 345. So again, very great pace, but you're right. This would be the other thing that'd be interesting, right? Knowing what the record pace was. Yeah, and, because when he got the 355, Rob said, that's our season record. Right. And then on, I don't recall again, cause I was, I, you know what, so, Chris, I started to get bored. <laughs> and again, you have to. I'm an obsessive about this, so I knew. Oh, the previous season record was 401 by Dr. Laura in the previous episode. That was the best. The previous record, he bettered it by six seconds, and so I'm like, okay, well. But again, he his whatever run he went on in the Circle of Samurai set the new record, and will be interesting to see if it is referred to in episode four. Man, I can tell how you got into that genius school. <laughs> well, thank your you. memory and your yeah you're a quick thinker dude um great well thank you so much i know i probably went over our time but any other like no I, I would just say you know keep watching and you know i would love to have you back on for another guest appearance at some point in time this season after we've seen how things play out yes one last question for you what do you yes. think of rob lowe's outfit 
So, you know what? I feel like so it's not so much the outfit. It's like uh, Rob has this stubble, and I think he's better clean shaven. Yeah. You know, our season, he was clean shaven, the classic Rob Lowe look. This look, I'm just like, you know, again, he's still a handsome man, obviously, but I like the clean shaven Rob Lowe look. I think that that's the classic Rob. That makes sense. I was looking at, he had on a black jacket and a purple shirt. I thought it looked great, but I thought he might have some makeup on. I suppose he would. And there's of course he has makeup on. They put makeup on us. I know, on. but it just seems sort of obvious. So then uh, one last question. I said that before. He was on Family Feud. Is that the same? Family Feud is syndicated. So Yeah, so I don't know. I don't, our, Family Feud is not an Arthur Smith show. Okay. Uh, I don't know if Family Feud has been revived on Fox or what have you. So we'd have to look it up. I would suspect it might be a Fox production somehow, but uh, we'd have to check that. Yeah. Don't quote me on it. A celebrity Family Feud. And I saw a preview yeah. for it. I haven't watched it, but he said, oh, my wife always wanted us to be on it. Anyway, Very Rob cool. is a charmer. I wish that we could write him material. I wish we could give him an audience, but you know I'm going to be watching, Chris. Every hey, listen, episode. hopefully season two does great and we'll be back again talking yes. about this in season three.